We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. Uh-oh, the president looked presidential. More bad news for the Democrats. Have you seen the video of President Trump making his entrance before delivering a national TV address on the Iranian situation? The doors open. There was a gigantic beam of sunlight, and he came through, and then he said this. As long as I'm president of the United States, Iran will never be allowed to have a nuclear weapon. Good morning. I'm pleased to inform you the American people should be extremely grateful and happy. No Americans were harmed in last night's attack by the Iranian regime. We suffered no casualties. All of our soldiers are safe, and only minimal damage was sustained at our military bases. Our great American forces are prepared for anything. Iran appears to be standing down, which is a good thing for all parties concerned and a very good thing for the world. No American or Iraqi lives were lost because of the precautions taken, the dispersal of forces, and an early warning system that worked very well. I salute the incredible skill and courage of America's men and women in uniform for far too long, all the way back to 1979, to be exact. Nations have tolerated Iran's destructive and destabilizing behavior in the Middle East and beyond. Those days are over. Iran has been the leading sponsor of terrorism and their pursuit of nuclear weapons threatens the civilized world we will never let that happen yeah how about saying they'll never have a nuclear weapon before he said anything else he sounded and looked presidential didn't he and that had to set the uh, democrats hair on fire sure looks like donald trump you know won again I'm a movie guy. You know, I love going to see movies, but this uh, grueling preparation that I go through to prepare this award-winning radio program has cut into the number of movies I see lately, but there are some that I have to make time for, and one of those is going to be released to a theater near you on Friday. Maybe you've seen the trailers. It's called 1917. It's a war movie, World War One, but it's a lot more than that. It's also a buddy movie. It's a story of two American infantrymen who were picked to save 1,600 troops who had left to chase some Germans who had retreated. But reconnaissance showed that the Germans were hoping the Americans would chase them, and they were preparing a major ambush. All 1,600 Americans would die if Lance Corporal Blake, whose brother was in the group of 1,600, and Corporal Schofield, who was kind of picked at random by Blake to go on this mission with him, they all die if they don't catch up to the Americans and warn them of the ambush. It's based on a true story. And it's realistic, believe me, sometimes gory and does a great job of showing just how gruesome it was for the guys who had to fight in World War I in those trenches. Special effects are great. And what's really amazing is that with all the action for two hours, a little bit over two hours, it looks like it was all done in one take with one camera. 1917's already won a Golden Globe. It's being called the best picture of the year. It's hard to imagine one that was better. Make sure you go see it. Hi, this is Rhett Rasmussen of BestHotGrill.com. Just because it's cold outside, it doesn't mean you need to stop grilling. Not if you've got the right grill, and that would be a Solaire infrared grill. Solaire infrared grills perform equally well in the cold of winter as in the heat of summer. 
Just like you feel warm from the sun when you step out of the shadows, the Solaire infrared burners heat your food directly, not the air around the food like conventional grills do. The intense heat also results in the juiciest food you will ever taste from a grill, gas, charcoal, or otherwise. To get the great taste, it's all about the heat. And Solaire Infrared from BestHotGrill.com gets hotter than anything you've ever experienced. Try it yourself with the Solaire Demo Program. Solaire is truly the last grill you'll ever buy. Learn more about these amazing USA-made grills at BestHotGrill.com. That's BestHotGrill.com. BestHotGrill.com. What is it costing you in vet bills for that convenience of just pulling open a bag of formulated, extruded, processed cereal bits? That costs a ton of money anyways. How do you feed your dog to derive not only energy, but a good coat, bright eyes, and a great attitude? Come to Dynavite for help. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. I found his raw meat diet on Dynavite.com. With just the raw meat and the eggs and the Dynavite and the Super Omega on top of it. Try Super Omega fish oil. Buy two. Get one free. Ground beef, white rice, um, eggs, including the shells, and the Dynavite supplement, and then a Lico Chops. Try Lico Chops. Buy two. Get one free. It just balances out his body and his mind and his spirit. Adding Dynavite to their diet has every single dog in my kennel looking better than they have ever looked. Their skin is so much better now that they're on the raw diet, I don't even give them the kibble anymore. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. If you haven't switched to Pure Talk USA, you're probably paying too much for your cell service. Pure Talk covers 99% of the country, and plans start at just $20 per line with no contract and a one-month risk-free guarantee. You've got nothing to lose. You can even keep your phone and your number. Get 50% off your first month when you call now. Just go to puretalkusa.com and enter promo code half off. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code half off. The John Steigerwall Show, AM 1250, The Answer. As it turns out, we're not going to have World War III this week. The Iranians backed off by sending some ceremonial missiles in the direction of some American bases, and nobody was hurt. And Donald Trump and America are looking pretty good right now. Sure looks like a win. Tom Spohr is the director of Heritage Foundation's Center for National Defense. He's a 36-year Army veteran who retired as a lieutenant general, and he joins us now. Tom, thanks for being here. Happy to be here. So is is this uh, a win for the United States, what's happened here in the last uh, 24 hours or so? Yeah, I think it's certainly fortunate that the uh, last 24 hours went by without any further loss of life, anybody getting wounded, nobody hurt. And so I'd like to think we're in a better place than we were 34, uh, 24 hours ago, maybe two days ago. And, and how was this action different from, or I, I guess better than, what previous presidents had done or might have done? Well, you're speaking about reacting to the uh, missile strikes, or even or uh, uh, just just how well. I guess going all the way back to uh, the uh, taking out of the uh, of the general, yeah. and then and then uh, re- had the reaction to what's happened. Uh, what happened last night? Yeah, both are fairly significant departures from what we've seen in recent uh, presidential administrations. Taking out uh, Suleimani, uh, I think, showed a lot of uh, decisiveness, and uh, other presidents have refrained because they've worried about the second and third order effects. I think this president, not as concerned, more concerned about sending a strong message that when you kill Americans, when you attack American facilities, there's going to be a price to pay. And so I think that that's helpful, and that's helpful for the long term for the United States to respond restore deterrence. And then in terms of not reacting to the missile strike, also not typical. And I also think it shows kind of unconventional thinking and that no Americans were hurt. No Americans were killed in these recent attacks uh, last night. And so no need for a uh, huge uh, vociferous U S response. So if, if one U S military person had been killed, would everything have changed because of one person? I think so. Wow. It's really important. And that's, and that's really, you know, what happened in that, those rocket techs that really got all this recent stuff going. That one person killed, those four service members being wounded, really changes the dynamic, I think. And, and puts the president in a completely different spot in terms of his need to respond. 
And just from a, uh, a strategic point of view, uh, there were a lot of um, uh, criticism for President Trump for taking Soleimani out um, when he did and how he did. But if you are, um, if, 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 if Iran is, is, suppo- is an enemy and they are, uh, and, and you get, and, and you know that this guy, you know, we found out a lot more about him since they shot him, or since they killed him, than we knew about him before. We, you know, his name was not all that well well publicized uh, outside of maybe the military. But, you know, we find out after he's dead that he was a mastermind of so many things. Why would anybody not think it was a good idea to kill him at your earliest convenience? Well, I mean, I think you're exactly right. Why Why did we refrain? And, you know, General Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, he said after looking at the intelligence, you know, that it, it was imminent, it was compelling, and it was clear that Soleimani was planning future attacks. Given all that, you know, I don't, I don't think a president could not uh, act to take this guy uh, off the face of the planet. But... Was that the first best opportunity or just the first opportunity to do it? I well, mean, could, could they have done it? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's been opportunities in the past. Uh, I don't know that the opportunity matched with intelligence that Suleimani was actively planning attacks against Americans. I don't know that we had both check marks in those blocks. And so the fact that we had both at this time really, I think, compelled the president to act. And what will all of this do for how President Trump is viewed by our enemies and by our friends? I think our enemies now understand that when he says something, when he when he stakes out a position on something, he's going to act. It isn't just talk. It isn't just, you know, false threats. It's actually be prepared for something to happen. Uh, I think allies will not admit it, but they like to see America's place in the world restored, where America is uh, a world power, and you don't trifle with a world power, you don't attack its citizens or its service members, and that uh, if you do, there's going to be a consequence. And and many of them are, you know, you you see your European allies have been generally supportive. None have been condemning, and most are at least supportive in general terms of what the United States did. What are the chances that uh, some of the people, some of the allies uh, you're talking about, have uh, contacted President Trump since they uh, since he took Soleimani out, and also since uh, what happened last night? You know, and we don't hear about it, but uh, they're congratulating him and but doing saying yeah. things that they can't say publicly. How much back channel yeah, stuff? Yeah, I think that's very likely. I mean, among the U.S. soldiers that he's responsible for their deaths and wounding. You know, there were coalition soldiers in Iraq, too, that suffered the consequences of Soleimani's support for terrorism and Iranian militias in Iraq. And so I think everybody kind of owes America a a note of gratitude in terms of uh, taking this guy off the planet because he was undermining governments in Lebanon and Syria and Yemen. And now that force is essentially gone. Talking to Tom Spohr, he's director of Heritage Foundation's Center for National Defense, 36 years in the Army, uh, and reached the uh, rank of lieutenant general. Uh, So you spent a little bit of time there in the Army, I see. Um, What does something like this do for morale uh, for the people who are over there? That's really good. You know, people understand that somebody's got their back, that if, you know, that they've got the reputation and the might of the United States behind their actions, and so that if they're if they're harmed, if something happens to them, they know that the United States uh, is not going to just take it, that there's going to be a response. And that that makes everybody walk a little bit straighter and a little bit a little bit uh, bounce in their steps, frankly. Does this make another war in the Middle East more or less likely? I think less likely. Uh, you know, people sometimes get into wars by accident, by miscalculation, by not understanding uh, what everybody's boundaries and red lines are. Those... Boundaries for the United States are very clear, and so nobody's going to, by accident, probably wander into something where they ought not to with the United States. And so I think, uh, while some people think this draws the United States closer into conflict, I think just the opposite. I think it kind of makes everything a bit clearer. And does it matter at all, uh, at least to the United States anyway, that the Iranian government um, may be telling the Iranian people big lies about what actually happened last night and maybe claiming that Americans were killed and more damage was done? 
And, you, and first of all, do you think that's happening? And if it is, does it matter? Uh, I think it is happening. You know, we've heard reports that the Iranians are telling their people that 30 Americans were killed. You know, mm-hmm. at least a large portion of this missile attack last night was intended for domestic consumption, for the Iranian government to tell their people that, look, we responded to America, we fired these missiles, and in, and making up stories that they killed Americans. Does that matter ultimately to us? I don't think so. I think uh, whatever they tell their people in this particular thing is it's fine for them, and if that somehow relieves them of the need to uh, continue this terror campaign, continuing attacks on U.S. Uh, facilities and personnel, then I'm, I'm fine with that. You know, I wonder how... Um Governments are able to get away with that now in the uh, in the internet age. I mean, I know there's ways of controlling the internet, and and they, uh, you know, if you're in a totalitarian state, there's a lot of things they can do. But it, it would seem to me that it'd be a lot harder now than it was uh, for the say the Soviet Union to tell their people things uh, and lie to them and get away with it without without it just the, the word spreading pretty quickly that it was a bunch of lies. Yeah, although. I mean, a consistent message in places like Iran is that the United States and the West lies. And so, you know, if, you, if your message every day, and not just this, but on everything, is that the United States lies about stuff, then, and you tell them, hey, you should only believe what you hear from us, then this at least is a contest of truth. You know, no true, you know, one people say, I'm hearing this, the other people saying that, I don't know where the real truth is, but if you have been brought up your whole life to, to believe that nothing the United States says is true, then that makes their job a little bit easier. A lot easier, yeah, right. Now, uh, in a piece yesterday, you told a story about how the um, the Obama administration thought it had done a great job um, handling the, the U.S. sailors that were captured uh, by Iran and, and how differently it was viewed by people in the Middle East. Could you explain that? Yeah. Yeah, I was at a conference, and uh, there was a former Obama administration official talking about the 2000. 16 incident where some 20 U.S. sailors were captured by the Iranians because their little ships ventured into the wrong part of the Persian Gulf. And so the Iranians took these sailors hostage, prisoner rather, made them uh, put their hands behind their heads, took off their uniforms, paraded state TV people in front of them and kind of humiliated them. And the guy on the stage was saying, but yeah, but look, uh, Secretary John Kerry, because he had been working on the Iran nuclear deal, had the number for the foreign minister on speed dial, and he was able to get that guy quickly and coordinate for their uh, release, which actually took 15 hours. And everybody was kind of nodding their heads. And then a bit later in the program, this guy stands up and turns out he's an ambassador from one of the larger countries in the Persian Gulf. And I can't name his name because of the... Uh, other rules, but he said, "Hey, uh, he was talking to the guy on the stage. You got this all wrong. You do not believe. You do not understand how this was viewed in the Gulf. The fact that we saw U.S. sailors being held prisoner, hands behind their necks, in in jumpsuits, with Iranian guards holding AK-47s over them, and, and doing this all on state TV. You cannot believe how the U.S. reputation suffered in this particular guard. You, know, you may think." It's worked out well, but really, America lost a whole lot of reputation in that particular incident. And, you know, him saying that, it was just like deathly quiet. You could have heard a pin drop because everybody's like, oh, wow, you know, this is a completely different message than the one we had been fed at the time. Well, how would someone uh, uh, in Kerry's position, um, Secretary of State, well, I know this wasn't Kerry who said this at the at the conference you were at, but how would right. they not know that? How would they not know that the pictures that we all saw back here of the the sailors on their knees wearing I look like orange jumpsuits? Um, how how would they not know that that's the way it was playing over there among the other Middle Eastern countries? Yeah, that's a great question. I I don't know that because I know how the moment I saw it, uh, the way I felt, and the way that probably most Americans felt when they saw. You know, these people, these sailors had made an honest mistake. Their little motorboats had crossed, you know, less than a mile from where they should have been. And, and for another Navy to take them prisoner and hold them like that, you know, it was just outrageous, you know. And then, especially since we're supposedly uh, negotiating with them on a, a nuclear deal, and for us, for our military to be treated like that, 
you know, I just couldn't countenance that. And so how anybody uh, could interpret that any differently is beyond me. And what should what should the reaction have been? And what do you think the reaction would have been by this administration? Well, any any uh, proper Navy, you know, find somebody in the wrong waters, you stop the boat, you say, hey, you guys are in the wrong space. You need to head that way. And that's the end of it. You know, you, you, you'd say, hey, you're, you're off course here, partner. Do you need help? Maybe they, you give them a little bit of help, uh, and then you point them in the right direction. And that's it. That's the way navies of the world kind of work together. And so, but even if, even if you don't want to do that, you don't handcuff the guys, you don't take them prisoner, you don't take them prisoner for 15 hours and bring in TV cameras. Yeah, so what should our reaction have been, though? What should the U.S. reaction have been oh, to that? We, we call these guys and we say, you have exactly 60 minutes <laughs> to release our sailors, or there are going to be some fairly significant consequences, and you're yeah. not going to like what's going to happen. Yeah. Now, um, how how should the re, uh, the U.S. react to the Iraqi parliament voting for the U.S. military to get out, leave the country? I think we should, yeah, I think we should just take a pause. I, I think... Uh, Let's let some cooler heads prevail. Let's let some time take place between that and what we actually do. The Iraqi parliament, as you probably heard and your listeners have heard, is a, a non-binding vote. And so okay. the agreement we have with Iraq is between our president and the prime minister. They actually have an acting prime minister right now, so there's some question about whether the, the acting guy even has the authority to tear up the agreement that we had with him. And so nothing has to happen, I think, really quickly, and, and I think we ought to just pause, um, do some diplomacy. Maybe it ends up that a few U.S. service members have to leave Iraq, you know, again, to save face, and, and that'll probably be okay. But I don't think we should do anything hastily. President Trump uh, ran on a promise, though, not to get involved in endless wars. Um, is yeah. there a way for him to get us out of there? And I mean, basically, the Middle East. uh, uh and wisely, uh, is there a way to get out of there if he gets four more years? Can you see him doing it? Yeah, I mean, first, I, I got to take issue with the word endless wars. I mean, really, U.S. service members, soldiers, are not really in the front line fighting in Iraq, in Afghanistan. They're they're advising security forces that are, that are friendly to our nation, trying to make them more capable. And in some cases... They're conducting terrorist raids to take out terrorist leaders. And so, in my book, that doesn't qualify as an endless war. That is, you know, several thousand, maybe as many as 10,000 service members doing the mission that the nation needs them to do, not not fighting on the front lines. Is it dangerous? It's absolutely dangerous. But it is not war, by at least as I consider it. And so, would it be nice to wrap those people up, those missions up, and get them home? I think so. But is it important? what they're doing over there overseas of the United States, I think the answer is yes. And so President Trump may be able to reduce our overseas presence, but at least in my view, I think what we're doing over there is helping uh, these nations, and I think that's good for America. Last thing for Tom Spore, Director of Heritage Foundation Center for National Defense, 36-year Army man, a lieutenant general. I got about less than a minute against a hard break here, Tom. Uh, what does the uh, what ha- what Donald Trump did in the last week uh, do for his standing among the uh, the mi- the military leaders of all the branches? Yeah, yeah. I think the military leaders uh, respect uh, the president acting the way he did. That he saw a target, he trusted the advice that he got from the Department of Defense and the Pentagon, and acted upon it. Didn't hesitate. Didn't wring his hands. Uh, and that's. Uh, one thing that really is useful is decisiveness. If you, you know, either you make a decision, yes or no, he made the yes decision. I think American troops, American forces now overseas are actually in a better position because of it. Well, hey, Tom, I appreciate you being on. Thanks for your service, and I uh, hope to have you on again sometime. That sounds great. Thank you very much. Okay, that's Tom Spore, Director of Heritage Foundation Center for National Defense, and we'll be right back. With SRN News, I'm John Scott. Iran struck back at the United States for killing a top Revolutionary Guard commander, calling it revenge for the killing of General Qasim Soleimani. 
Iran fired ballistic missiles at two military bases housing American troops, but President Trump says there were no casualties. The Iranian military disputing any suggestion that the Ukrainian airliner that crashed on the outskirts of Tehran was brought down by a missile. All 176 people aboard the plane were killed. Thunderstorms and showers have brought some relief for firefighters battling deadly wildfires across Australia's drought-parched East Coast area, but also raised concerns that lightning will spark more fires before the dangerous hot weather returns. Stocks finishing higher today, the Dow gained 161 points, the Nasdaq ahead 60, and that was for a record close. This is SRN News. Thinking about life insurance? Did you know in just a few minutes you can find the best price from up to 10 price competitive companies for free? You can with SelectQuote. For example, George is 39. He was getting sky-high quotes from other companies because he takes meds to control his blood pressure. But when I shopped around, I found him a 10-year, $500,000 policy for under $22 a month. I'm SelectQuote agent Dan Savino, and believe me, If SelectQuote isn't shopping for your life insurance, you're probably paying too much. For your free quote, call 800-494-2323. That's 800-494-2323. 800-494-2323. Or go to SelectQuote.com. Since 1985, we shop, you save. Get full details on the example policy at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Your price could vary depending on your health, issuing company, and other factors. Not available in all states. Hugh Hewitt knows where his vote is going in 2020. There's not going to be an election year recession. Democrats are so sad that people are going to keep their jobs and get wage increases. Because if you vote for a Democrat next year, you're just crazy. You're voting against your economic interest. That's the election in a nutshell. Trump might drive you crazy. You might love him. It doesn't matter. I like this economy. The Hugh Hewitt Show. Weekday mornings at 6, right before Mike Gallagher at 9 on AM 1250. The Answer. Teens in foster care will love you. Even if you don't know the lingo. Dad bod. Now, the result of the occasional donut always washed down with confidence. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. The new year will bring a major change in how the Westmoreland County Transit Authority operates. As scholars at the Allegheny Institute for Public Policy note, Instead of contracting out the operation of buses it owns, as it has for the past four decades, it now will operate the Mass Transit Agency itself. To learn of the transition's challenges, visit AlleghenyInstitute.org. Now in its 25th year of challenging conventional public policy wisdom, that's AlleghenyInstitute.org. Hold us! The best picture of the year is 1917. Raves Forbes magazine. We've got orders to cross here. That is the German front line. It's a soaring tribute to heroism that's both epic and intimate. We need to keep moving! The best war movie since Saving Private Ryan. There is only one way this ends. Last man standing. 1917. Rated R. Under 17. Not made without parent. Now playing in select theaters everywhere Friday. Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Pick up two bottles of Licker Chops, get the third bottle free. New improved Licker Chops with omega-6, omega-3, vitamin E, and now six extra direct-fed microbials. Even better for the digestive tract and immune system. And dogs love it. Try Licker Chops. Buy two, get one free. This is Henry Lukasiewicz for Dynavite. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. A division of Salem Media Group. Listen on the Answer mobile app, smart speakers, tune in, iHeart, or radio.com. Stuck in traffic? We've got the answer. Lots of volume just about everywhere. Parkway West inbound. That stacks up Green Tree Road to the Fort Pitt Tunnel. Outbound from Banksville Road to Carnegie. Parkway East crawls outbound. Boulevard of the Allies to the Squirrel Hill Tunnel. Inbound Edgewood Swissvale to the Tunnel County Jail to the Fort Pitt Bridge. Delays outbound Liberty Bridge and on the West End Bridge. Outbound 51 heavy from Midwood Avenue to Library Road. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson. AM 1250, the answer. Weather. Clear skies for tonight. Moonlit with a low 16. Thickening clouds tomorrow. Milder with a high 43. Tomorrow night, rather cloudy with a low 37. 
Cloudy on Friday with the temperature approaching the record of 60, set 1924 with a bit of afternoon rain and a high 56. And Saturday, cloudy with the temperature approaching the record of 68, set 1890 with a brief shower or two and a high 66. With your Accu Weather Forecast, I'm Gregory Patrick. This is the John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250, The Answer. Australia is still on fire. People have died, so have a billion animals. Uh, and guess what's being blamed? Climate change, of course. Um, there was a story going around yesterday that 183 people had been arrested and charged with setting fires. But now those reports are being disputed by the Australian government and some other places. So is it climate change uh, caused by humans that is causing the fires? Sterling Burnett is the senior fellow on environmental policy at the Heartland Institute. He joins us now. Sterling, thanks for coming on again. Appreciate it. Thank, thanks for having me on. It's a, it's, a, it's a crazy time in this whole world, and Australia is uh, no, not immune from the, from the madness, unfortunately. All right, so, so what is causing all these fires in Australia? Well, you know, unfortunately, uh, so much of the mainstream media, you know, the fake news mainstream media, lives by the creed of never let the facts get in the way of a good uh, uh, good headlines or a scare story, especially if they think they can bash um, uh, certain political parties or conservatives. But uh, Paul Harvey used to say, let's get to the rest of the story, award-winning broadcaster Paul Harvey. And so my take on the Australian fires is uh, that there are three main reasons behind it. There's a lot of reasons, but there's three main reasons. Uh, They're the result of bad weather, bad policy, and bad people. And um, looking at the weather, well, you know, you're in a drought. They've had a drought for two years now, but before that they had uh, almost 25 consecutive years of above-average rainfall. In fact, droughts aren't uncommon in Australia. Much of it is a desert. The old outback that you see uh, in commercials or in movies, it's desert. So droughts are not uncommon in Australia, uh, haven't been historically. They had good weather, uh, maybe sometimes good, too good weather. They had a lot of rainfall for, like I said, almost 25 straight years, and then they've had two years of drought. Well, 25 years of weather means, uh, of rainfall means a lot of trees have grown up, a lot of brush has grown up, and the bad policy comes in here. During the past half century, the government of Australia, like the government of the United States in many instances, like California and many of the western states, has set aside greater and greater amounts of land to protect the environment. So they can't be touched. So they stop logging. They don't allow people to clear brush, even around their homes, because it might be wildlife habitat. Good Lord, we don't want to do that. And so they leave tinderbox conditions when a drought comes along, and you have all this brush grown up. (sighs) Which, of course, if you're protecting species and their habitat burns to the ground, you didn't do a very good job. The third part is what you said. Look, there were reports that nearly 200 people had been arrested. I know of about 40 people that were arrested for setting fires don't know about all of them we won't know just like we don't know how many animals have been killed by the fire because first off we don't know how many animals were there it's not like we track all the animals and we don't know how many animals moved out from where fires are if you're not in a very small island if a fire comes typically you leave unless you get trapped so we don't know a lot of things but we do know that a lot of people set a lot of fires during a time when you had a drought after the government set us out a lot of land that can't be touched, and you've had lots of growth. So it, it created these conditions. So it sounds a lot like what happened in California, but uh, Andy Pittman, he's a climate modeler. I know you love those guys. Uh, he's a climate modeler at the University of New South Wales in Sydney. And here's a quote from him. He says, there is an uncontroversial link whereby higher carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere from climate change increase brush fire risk. All other things being equal, a fire that occurs now will be worse than a fire that occurred 20 or 30 years ago. Now, I read that, and my question, not being an expert by any means, my question was, well, could humans have done anything 
in 20 or 30 years to make fires more likely, other than what you just talked about? Because uh, he's talking about it's what humans did to, to create the, the change in the weather, not what humans did to not allow for clearing of the brush and those kinds of things. Well, the problem is the weather hasn't changed. I mean, you know, he'd have to show me evidence that the weather has actually changed from his story, that they didn't have wildfires previously in Australia, that they didn't have droughts, not two-year droughts, but 50-year droughts in the past. In in California, we know that historically they had 100-year droughts. We're not seeing anything like that. So he'd have to show me that the weather itself was all that unusual. The temperature there... Let's say it's risen two degrees from what it was 100 years ago. I don't know that that's the case, but let's say two, two degrees doesn't make the difference between a fire. You know what does? Brush buildup, no treatment, bad actors. And to this extent, he may be right. Human carbon dioxide emissions do one thing that may have contributed to this. Plant growth. What we know is the earth is greening on average because carbon dioxide is plant food. They eat it up. And the more we put out there, the more they absorb, and the faster they grow and the bigger they grow. So certainly carbon dioxide has added fuel to those fires by growing, you know, by growing plants. And I'll bet they, you know, Australia is not exempt from what's going on in Africa, in, uh, in parts of uh, Asia, and in America and, and Europe, where plants are growing faster and bigger than ever, and so when you have a drought, there's more fuel there for a fire. So to some extent, carbon dioxide may have contributed to it, but not because of temperature change, not yeah. because it changed the weather there. Right. Uh, I read somewhere that uh, just in the last couple of days that Captain Cook, who lived from uh, 1728 until 1779, so I don't know when he wrote this, but uh, when he was over there, but uh, somewhere he said uh, he talked about seeing brush fires along the coast of Australia. That would have been in the 18th century. So uh, this is nothing new, as you said. Yeah, the, 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 that's it. It's like you pick out, in this case, you pick out this one year of really bad fires. And because it's uh, you're trying to make the case, not you personally, of course, but many in the media, many scientists – trying to make the case humans are causing catastrophic climate change. So you latch onto this, and all you have to do to make that case is to ignore every other data point in fact and history. All you've got to do is ignore the history of Australia, whether it's on average dry or wet, whether it's on average, you know, how often they have droughts, what uh, forest buildup was like before when they had fires compared to what it is now, what policies have changed? All you gotta do is ignore all that, and then you can just make the claim that climate, you know, climate change is causing wildfires. So ignore the ignore the facts and promote the hype. But even if you if you talk about history in Australia, um, I mean, there hasn't been much history in Australia if you, uh, compared to the amount of time that the planet's been here. Um, so, I mean, how many no, years can you go back anyway? We just haven't. There's always been history in Australia. We just haven't recorded much of it. But I'll wager, uh, you know, the, the Aborigines that are down there, they don't have uh, a long written history. That's what I mean, yeah. Uh, they've only got an oral history, and it's not clear how reliable that is going to be these current generations that, you know, so much of their society has been destroyed. But uh, so we don't know everything that it's like, but we can go back and look at geology. You can see uh, in geology and uh, in the soil drill down and see when you've had large fires in the past where you've got, you know, a lot of burned burned wood and, and, and peat and stuff down there. You could do that. And, and uh, I'll wager they haven't done that to examine, you know, uh, this comparison with, with uh, ancient past, but maybe they have. But the point is, nobody who's writing the headlines today or nobody, none of the talking heads that's talking about it today, have done any of the research to know whether that's the case or not. We're talking so they, to, they, see, they, they see the immediate impact, the wildfire, as terrible as it is, and they immediately leap to the conclusion because it satisfies their preconceived uh, concept, their preconceptions that climate change is causing it, humans are causing it. Yep. And, and don't get me wrong, like I said, CO2 has contributed because of the growing of plants, and humans have contributed because they're starting some of the, in many instances, not, certainly not all of them, they're starting the fires. 
<laughs> it, doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be 200 people. If it's just 40 people, if right. it's just 60 people, 60 of those fires spread, and <laughs> they contribute a lot to it. Yeah, uh, we're talking to Sterling Burnett. He's the Senior Fellow on Environmental Policy at the Heartland Institute. Uh, so w- we should just be skeptical, and we've talked about this before here. We should just be skeptical when we hear that it's never been this hot down there in Australia. We don't know that. We don't know that. What we should be is skeptical of claims linking any particular environmental disaster to human-caused climate change, while at the same time sympathizing or empathizing with the people of Australia, and uh, if you know, if you have the well wherewithal, um, aside from whatever other charity that people may give to in their lives, help them out because they're going to have a lot of recovery to do. But you know, like I said, you might also recommend that they adopt sounder policies concerning locking up large swaths of their forest, uh, not allowing people to clear brush allowing this buildup, because one thing we can be sure of, rains will come again, and so will droughts. Well, how disingenuous are the people in government who don't seem to find time to mention the uh, fact that you've just spoken about here, that the, uh, the brush not being cleared, and they, meaning the government or environmentalist attempts to fix things, has made things worse? I mean, they don't, do they know it and they're lying about it, or are they just stupid, I guess is what I'm asking. Uh, I don't know if they're stupid, but I imagine many of them are ignorant. <laughs> some of them are ignorant, some of them are lying. Or yeah. some of them are just ignoring, you know, it's like, it's not it's not a lie to not tell all the facts. It's sort mm-hmm. of a, I don't know what you call it, but, you know, when, you, when you're on the stand, you're sworn to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Well, they may be telling part of the truth but not they're not telling the whole truth but but in australia what would be their motivation if they if they know that much of it is caused by the very people that they support because of the you know the, the attempts well, to well, what, what would be in it to that what's in it for them i guess is what well, i'm saying if you're an environmentalist your motivation is to give government more control over people's lives right because you think you're going to be the one wielding the levers of power so they don't want to blame past government policies. They want to blame climate. And if you're the government, you don't want to take the blame for past policies. You don't want to say we're responsible. So it's convenient for you to blame the climate. Yeah. You know, it's like, look, what is the incentive of any government minister to say, you know what, we screwed up. Uh, it's our fault. We, we, we implemented bad policies. Yeah. And the truth is we've had some good rains recently. And now we're in a drought. Our bad policies contributing this. What, what what incentive do you have as a minister to say that? Yeah, there's a conservative prime minister down there. His name is Scott Morrison, but his deputy yep. prime minister uh, is um, uh, what's his name? I forget his name. Um, anyway, he says climate change concerns were. This is what the deputy prime minister, which I guess is the equivalent to our vice president. This is what he said. He said the climate change concerns were sp- were stoked. By raving inner city lefties, that sounds like kind of like what went on here when California was having the same problem. Well, yeah, I mean, you got to remember this government how it came to power. Uh, the previous government um, was pushing climate policies to restrict their coal use, to restrict their energy use, and it was raising energy prices everywhere and putting people out of work. And he lost power. He was uh, kicked out with a vote of no confidence, and the new guy said, "You know what?" We're putting. He basically followed the the Trump tune. We're putting Australians first. We're going to start mining our coal again. We're going to start. Uh, we're not going to rely so much on expensive, unreliable renewable renewable energy. And uh, he says, "Look, we believe that humans are causing climate change, but we're not going to bankrupt ourselves over it because it's not the end of the world." So he took sort of a realist position, um, and so. He's right that, you know, you've got these people in the inner city, people who've never lived in the country, but who think they should be able to impose um, <laughs> policies all over the people living in the country. Uh, you know, like New York and California thinks it should rule the whole nation. Um, and they just don't know much about nature. 
Oh, they, they're, it's, it's amazing how, though, consistent they are. I have about a minute left here. It's amazing how consistent they are with uh, how they react to disasters like this. It's immediately just uh, caused by humans, not by, as you say, or, or some people are saying, people actually starting the fires, but just by our lifestyle that we have to change. It's, it's, it's always, that's the first thing they go to. I think it was the guy that was, uh, what's his name, the former mayor of Chicago, maybe still mayor of Chicago, uh, used to work for Clinton. He said, never let... Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, Rahm Emanuel, uh, yeah. Rahm Emanuel. Never let a disaster go to waste or a, a, a crisis go to waste. Yeah. Well, that's these people. Look, during the 70s, um, we were facing the next ice age. Now, what, no one, as far as I know, claimed humans were causing it. But their solution was big government. During the 70s, we were running out of oil. We had to conserve. And their solution was big government. During the, during the late 80s, when oil was awash and prices were back down uh, and, and the earth was warming, their solution was big government. So no matter what the issue is, for some people, the answer is always bigger government. And yet, as far as I can tell, they can never point once to, a, to, a, to, a, to an instance where their proposed solution, big government, has solved the problem it was meant to solve. Sterling, I'm out of time. I appreciate you being on as usual. I don't think it'll be the last time I call on you to clear this stuff up, but uh, you've cleared this one up for me anyway. It's raving inner city lefties, and uh, I appreciate you being on. Thanks. Appreciate you having me. I look forward to being on again. Take care. Okay, thank you. And that is Sterling Burnett, the senior fellow on environmental policy at the Heartland Institute, and we will be right back. Obamacare, Trump Care, ACA, Cobra. There are so many choices, but all seem to bring one word to mind expensive. There are lots of changes happening in healthcare today. Fortunately, I know someone that has been on the forefront of health insurance for years Todd Marley at Marley Financial. Todd and his team of professionals are licensed with virtually every healthcare provider in the country. They help determine which plan is right for you and then expertly help you choose the best plan for your needs and then do so prudently. Don't need maternity coverage? Call Marley Financial. Have pre existing conditions? Call Marley Financial. Want just catastrophic or just accident? You know the answer because they know how to design the plans. Most of their clients save 30 to 60%, which can add up to several thousand dollars a year. Call Todd at Marley Financial, 724-884-1496. That's 724-884-1496 on the web at MarleyFG.com. Todd Marley at Marley Financial, 724-884-1496 at MarleyFG.com. Don't let your home be invaded this season with rats and mice. Keep them away the most humane way with plug-in, pest-free, 100% chemical-free, totally safe for your family and pets, and environmentally friendly. G'day, I'm Scott from Plug-in Pest-Free, the electromagnetic pest control device that has been scientifically tested and consumer-proven since 1995. Now that's fair income. With a 60-day money-back guarantee and a two-year manufacturer's warranty, what have you got to lose? Stop inviting unwanted rodents and pests in with baits. Say goodbye to traps and start saving money today with Plug-In Pest-Free. Order yours now at gopestfree.com and save 20% with promo code SAVE20. That's gopestfree.com, promo code SAVE20. Are you ready to start saving money? gopestfree.com. Promo code SAVE20. Don't spray and regret. Plug in and forget. Shopping online this holiday season? Finding the perfect gift from your computer, tablet, or smartphone is a breeze. Just a few taps and you're done. But all that online shopping? It could expose your personal information and leave you potentially vulnerable to identity theft. And you may miss certain identity threats by just monitoring your credit. Like someone selling your info on the dark web or taking an online payday loan in your name. Good thing there's LifeLock. They monitor your personal information, and if you have a problem with identity theft, they work to fix it. Of course, no one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But LifeLock offers something that's perfect for the holidays and beyond. Not having to worry if identity theft happens to you. Join now and save up to 25% off your first year. 
Go to LifeLock.com and use promo code SMART. That's promo code SMART at LifeLock.com to save 25% off. Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover. All for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 3388 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 3388. Enjoy. You're listening to The John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250, The Answer. I opened the show by saying the president uh, looked and sounded presidential, and that would set the Democrats, and that, of course, means the media set their hair on fire. Here's a quick uh, re- – here it is again, just real quickly. As long as I'm president of the United States, Iran will never be allowed to have a nuclear weapon. Good morning. And that was it. That was the first thing he said before he said good morning. But somebody named Kathy Turr at MSNBC was upset. She was asking, where's the evidence that this guy that uh, the president had killed, uh, Qasem Soleimani, is, is an imminent threat to the United States? And then she said, flanked by stern white military men, the president addressed the world this morning following Iran's attack on military bases housing American soldiers last night. And then he began not by saying good morning, but by demanding Iran must not be allowed to have a nuclear weapon. She didn't like it. Which means, of course, it was perfect. And he looked presidential, and it's killing him. And he won again, as I said at the top of the show. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Alan Dershowitz tomorrow. Bye. The John Steigerwald Show is a production of AM 1250, The Answer, and Salem Media Group.